This is Alexander Freed, author of the Alphabet Squadron novels, and you are listening to the Living Force Podcast. Welcome to the Living Force Podcast. I'm going to be a pilot. A Utini Podcast Network production. To bring forth the merchandise. Episode 107, Alphabet Squadron Victory's Price Roundtable, Part 1. You have any idea what it's like to live with the price on your head? On this episode, news on Phase 1, Wave 2 of the High Republic. What's a fancy flyboy doing down in the mud? It's the Patreon of the Week. What did you say? It's the Patreon of the Week. Oh, please. And the Utini crew takes a deep dive into Alphabet Squadron Victory's Price by Alexander Free. I feel great about this plan. And now, here are your hosts. Who are these guys? Dr. Corey Helton, Eric Eilerson, Dr. Charles Hankel, and Wes Jenkins. Hello, everyone! Welcome into the Living Force! I am one of your hosts, Eric Eilerson, and joining me in the cockpits of the show tonight is the full crew. First, we have our, what was it, our Y-X-Wing pilot, Dr. Corey Helton. I forget, were you an yes. X-Wing? Uh, what? What are we talking? What? We assigned ourselves <laughs> uh, ships like you way back when. That. that was we a long that. time ago. Yeah, I think I was an X-wing. I want to say. You were. I think Maybe. you were. I think you okay, were. I know for good. sure that our Y-wing pilot was Dr. Charles Hankel. Hey, buddy. Yeah, I'm still a little bit upset by that, but I'll accept it. <laughs> uh, which means I, I'm pretty sure what our B-wing, our U-wing, or our guy who walks on foot was Wes Jenkins. <laughs> I was a I was a cloud car. Cloud car. <laughs> I'm able to take other people places, and they can sit on the other side. Uh, well, well, great! You take me wherever I want to go, buddy. Well, we hope we'll take you where you want to go tonight. We are here. We are the Living Force. We are here for our first part of our Victory's Price Roundtable. We'll say right at the beginning here. We will have full spoilers for this book. So if you're in the chat right now, first of all, hi. Welcome. Love y'all. If you haven't finished the book, be aware we're going to talk all about it. If you're listening to this later, same warning. We're getting it out of the way. <sighs> but first of all, hi, guys. How you doing? I feel like these weeks get longer between these shows. I miss you. They do. It does feel like that. We talked yeah. about that today in Slack, that it feels like the the gaps get bigger, but they're not. We do this every week. No, they are the so, same, to be clear. Uh, that's right. So I don't know. You know, stressful times right now for for me. My life has got a lot going on in it, but you know, I don't. I don't really. Before I get here, I don't want to come together. I'm like, God, I got the Star Wars podcast thing tonight. But like I've said before, as soon as I sit down in the chair, it's just makes a difference, man. It's a good way to kick off the week. Yeah, and you know Dude. why? It's because it's a Secret Lab chair. That's right, Secret Lab, the oh unofficial <laughs> sponsor of UTD. <laughs> Someday, <laughs> Secret Lab, email us at CEO at UTD.com. We love your chair. That's right. <laughs> uh, but one other thing we love is our other show that launched last week. We wanted to give a huge congratulations to the Cosmic Force who started out their episode one last Wednesday night. Y'all, that show was awesome. I am so freaking yeah. proud. It was so much better than when yeah. we started. <laughs> None of their cameras were like like this. <laughs> like, hey, everybody, welcome to Living Force. It's like, all right, I feel targeted, but go on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, their chemistry together is great, and they have such a good time. And they they have lighting, and they have yeah, they have microphones, and they have good video cameras, and they have yeah. production. And I mean, they pull up the right. panels and the art for you to actually see and follow along. It's amazing. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. special. Yeah. Uh, 
special shout out to all of our Patreon community for that, because without you guys, we would not be able to build new stuff. Mm-hmm. This is the first show we've ever launched where we started off with all nice equipment and nice lighting. And, you know, we spent a lot of money uh, getting that show off the ground early this year. So, um, you know, we definitely could not be here without the support of our Patreon community. So thank you guys so much. I hope you guys enjoy that show. It's going to be every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern yes. Time. Is that correct? correct? Yes, it is. And, yeah, quite literally brought to you by the Patreon community. Uh, congrats, all you guys that hosted. We, I see uh, Emma's in the chat right now. Did a phenomenal job. All your Star Wars comics news. Stay tuned to the Cosmic Force. Love you guys. Congratulations. Uh, another quick thing we wanted to do to start out. We're not going to have a full Star Wars Weekly Roundup uh, this week because we have a roundtable. And there wasn't a lot of news. But we did want to mention that if you go over to StarWars.com right now, they did put up all of the summaries for the High Republic books fa- uh, Wave 2. Not Phase 2. We're still in Phase 1. Uh, but the second wave of books, including The Rising Storm, including a bunch of other books that will surround the, like, the... Fair? I forgot what it's called. The Republic Fair uh, is going to be a main event. And we want to give a special shout-out to a friend of the show, George Mann, who is confirmed to be writing in the High Republic uh, storybook that will be coming out centered all around our favorite Wookiee, Buriaga. So congrats, George. We love you, man. Uh, duh, you're in the High Republic. You're lovely. You're great. <laughs> so head over to StarWars.com. Check out all those. Check out all the Utini release calendar. We're going to have all your pre-order links there because High Republic is where it's at, except for today, where it's Alphabet Squadron. Speaking of our Patreon community, we have a lovely patron of the week we would like to highlight. I believe we have a picture, and we have the lovely and talented Dr. Charles Henkel, who's going to read what he sent in. Charles, would you like to tell us about Peter? All right, so... Peter says, hey, girls and guys, my name is Peter. I'm 34 years old, happily married, and I live in a small town in the north of Germany. As a child, I was never really that much of a Star Wars fan. Sure, I'd seen the films, and I really liked the one with the Ewoks, but not a big fan until 1999. I don't know why, but I was really super excited when Episode One was released. I didn't watch the movie in a theater, but when it was released on video cassette, my parents yes! bought it for me as a gift <laughs> for Easter Sunday. <clears throat> From the moment when Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan fought against the first droids at the beginning until the last fight against Darth Maul, I was hooked. I love the fights, the humor, the pod race, and Padme. Duel of Fates gives me the goosebumps even today. And to be honest, I like Jar Jar. For me, he was never an annoying character. I found him funny. It was only years later that I found out that there are people hating him and the prequel trilogy. Haters gonna hate, but I don't want to waste my time on this earth with such things. So that's pretty much why I joined Utini. Over the years, my excitement for Star Wars grew bigger, though I didn't read any books or comics. I just kept rewatching the films. After the release of The Last Jedi, I was searching for a Star Wars-themed podcast, and I found The Living Force. I listened to some episodes, and I really liked the idea of a community full of positivity. Thanks to you guys, I started reading canon books, and I absolutely loved Master and Apprentice since it starred the characters from my most loved episode. To end, I have to tell you that I'm in love with Dr. Aphra. I have never read any of her comics, which I will do, or listen to the audio drama, which I will do immediately after I finish the book, but I read the first lines of the script, and it's so much fun. Thank you very much for starting the spark of reading Star Wars books in me. I also have a question. If Dr. Aphra comes to the big screen, who would you like to portray her? Please keep up the great work. You guys are great, and it's a real pleasure listening to you. Best regards from Germany, and may the force be with you. Wow, thank That's you, so cool. Peter. Um, and thank you for not typing May the Force Be With You in German because that would have been <laughs> a lot. Oh, we missed our opportunity to have you that try would, to speak German? That would have been great. This time. <laughs> oh, Tune in next try. week. 
Oh, <laughs> uh, well, thank you, man. It's it's always surreal to me that this may seem weird, but as folks from the United States to know that there's people all across the world, even though we have international people on our team, it's just cool to know that people all over the world are listening to us and loving what we do. We're glad that we got to bring you into Star Wars books. Uh, as for Afra, guys, I'm going to be very traditional in my answer here. Just Emily Wuzeller did the audiobook. Put her in the movie. You know, I think I she's mean, great. Yeah. Interesting. Um, like she's a. I don't think I've ever seen a picture of her. Yeah, she, I mean, she, she's an Asian actress. Like, we don't want to freaking whitewash Afro. We don't want to make her, um, you know, an inauthentic character. I, oh yeah, she looks like she could be. A, yeah, she looks like she could be an Afro. Here, let me pull her up. Yeah, let's show Emily Wuzeller here. Who like did? When you, never seen her before. <laughs> think of when you think yeah. of Doctor Afro. You think of that voice, right? So <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh my god, and the smirk. I mean, that is Afro uh, to a T yeah, right she, there. It looks like she could totally be a nice, good choice. Good choice, Eric. Thank you. Who's also Pan Am in Cyberpunk 2077? Everybody, you fans, right. there. The uh, the the best romantic character, if I do say so. Yep, you, you're correct. You say the truth, Corey. Uh, <laughs> that's that's right. I think uh, I was uh, I always have to look up a list of of people because I just mm-hmm. can't. People don't actors don't come to me, and actresses don't come to me. And I'm looking through the list of I just search for like actresses or something dumb because mm-hmm. I'm a moron. I can't name things. And <laughs> actresses. I think uh, I think somebody somebody like Emma Stone might be a fun character to play. Oh sure, <laughs> get that kind of personality like, that's a little more like yeah. uh, klutzy ish. <clears throat> Yes, exactly. That might be fun to watch. Yeah. I mean, knowing Star Wars, they'd pick like a 23-year-old fresh out of drama school that we don't know, and they'd be amazing. So Yeah. Um, yeah grab somebody from the Sundance and throw them in there. Give them yeah. a chance. You know? <laughs> well, here, and, and uh, Amy puts in the chat, I think, the question for all of us, do we think it's going to happen? Like, yes. you know, ask me know. a year ago. I don't know. But, I mean, we're getting a TV show. show? Maybe. I I think that we'll see her yeah uh, appear in a show. I don't think the first time we see her is going to be like her own show, but I right, think sure. we're going to get a backdoor pilot deal potentially, or she'll at least show up. Just a yeah, cameo, maybe. just a ten second bit where she just shows up just a little bit. You know, you see that hat, and you're like, oh, yeah. I think I know who that she's is. She's in a she's in a bar or something like in yeah. a Mandalorian, yeah. and she like That'd be sick. she like just she like just shakes her head and puts her drink down or something like that. That's Perfect. All we get. That's all you rad. need. Just oh my god. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, she's stage. like. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, Book of Boba Fett, maybe, right? Because she's around, as far as we know, post-Empire, maybe post-Turn of the Jedi. She shows up, mm-hmm. is like, like basically has the Ahsoka role where she has one episode where she helps out Boba and then she leaves. Uh-huh. I could dig That'd it. Be, well, we hope so. Fun. We That'd hope so. Fun. Uh, but thank you, Peter, for that question. And thanks for being part of the community, man. I'm glad that you're, you're loving what you're reading so far. Glad you're repping the Phantom Menace love. Absolutely. I uh, hope you enjoyed our commentary about that a couple of months ago, which was still one of my favorite things we've ever done. So you're awesome. Thank you. And again, all of you, keep an eye out. You may be our next patron of the week. Throw us your fan cast questions. Throw us your favorite episodes. Tell us about your video cassettes. We will love <laughs> to read it. And of course, if you want to have some more books, whether they be about Afro, whether they be about literally anyone, you got to check out that new releases page on utini.com. Most importantly, April 27th, Thrawn Ascendancy, Greater Good is going to be coming your way. You don't want to miss out. You want to have it day one. Hit those pre-order links, and of course, check out all the goodness that is coming your way this year. It's uh, it's a lot. It's a lot of stuff this year, Charles. I apologize for all the roundtables we'll be doing in advance. Uh, I also want to shout out Rob in the chat put up uh, a great idea. Uh, Lana Condor for Afro would be incredible if y'all have seen Deadly Class on Sci-Fi. Uh, she was Saya in that, and then she's also the main uh, the main actress in the To All the Boys I've Loved Before movies. 
She is, yeah, she is magnetic. She has star power. Put her in Star Wars. Make her Afra. I love it. I love it. Uh, but what I love even more than that is not being in charge of driving this show, Charles. <laughs> I think that's my cue. <laughs> I'm going to have a beer and sit back. Here we go. <laughs> All right, y'all. So it's time to jump into uh, part one of the Victory's Press Roundtable. So I'm going to start th- this off how we always do with a plot summary. And this is going to take about five straight minutes because this was a complicated book full of complicated people doing complicated things. And there's just no easy way to talk about it. So let's just jump right in. Um, so after leaving Alphabet Squadron to rejoin Shadowing, Erika Quell has become Colonel Soren Keys' most trusted advisor. Together, they lead their fighter wing on a new yet familiar mission. General Harrison Dula and her crew aboard the converted Star Destroyer, the Deliverance, continue to track down Shadowing. Chief among her forces is Alphabet Squadron, now led by Will Lark. Shadowing's mission soon becomes clear. They seek to destroy any and all Imperial remnants who were not loyal to the late Emperor's vision. To accomplish their task, they are reenacting Operation Cinder, destroying entire worlds as necessary. The New Republic follows a trail of breadcrumbs left behind by Shadowing's flagship, the Yadiz, and we soon learn that it's Quell who is secretly sending the signals. Her actions inadvertently lead to the destruction of the Emperor's messenger droid, through key, uh, though Keyes helps her cover it up in the hopes that he can use the droid's remains to learn more about the Emperor's dying wishes. Shadowing eventually sets its sights on the planet Chidawa, an ancient world surrounded by giant radiation-emitting rings that disrupt ships' comms and other vital systems. Once the New Republic arrives at Chidawa, a battle ensues. But Quell slips away with a small strike team aboard her cloaked ship from Cerberon, headed for Nedalik to unlock the secrets of the messenger. Chas and Kairos are in pursuit. On Nedalik, Quell gets the answers that she seeks, but not before her team turns against her, realizing their mission did not come from Imperial Command. Ironically, she's saved when her team is ambushed by Chas and Kairos. Quell is kidnapped by her former squadron mates, but manages to send the information regarding the messenger to her ship, which she knows will eventually make its way back to Keys. When Chas and Kairos try to escape Nedalik, their Nava computer on the U-Wing is damaged. But Kairos is still able to pilot them through hyperspace on instinct alone to an unknown planet where they crash land. Back on Chidawa, Will challenges Keys to a one-on-one fight that leads to his A-Wing being shot down in his narrow escape with his life. Quell's strike team returns to the Yudis with the messenger's information, leading Keys to decide to abandon Chidawa altogether and carry out a new mission. The planet on which Kairos crash-landed uh, turns out to be her old home, but she is not welcome. Kairos, Chas, and Quell are slowly hunted by Kairos' people, but make a narrow escape. In the process, Quell wins back the trust of her old squadron mates. However, she betrays them once again by sending messages to Keys, in which they finally discuss the messenger's secret, that there is a database on Coruscant that contains a record of all the crimes ever committed by every Imperial in history. Keyes intends to go to Coruscant and destroy it, hoping to save both the lives and the futures of his soldiers once the New Republic inevitably wins the war. Despite Keyes' plans, he's ordered by Imperial Command to bring Shadowing to Jakku, where forces are amassing for an impending battle with the New Republic. Keyes sends his troops, but leaves for his own mission. When Quell is returned to the Deliverance with Chas and Kairos, she is accepted by Hera once she reveals the entire truth behind her service with Shadowing, including Keyes' plans for the database on Coruscant. And as the entire New Republic fleet heads to Jakku, where intelligence forces have tracked the Imperials, Hera allows Quell, accompanied by Kairos, to go after Keys. 
On the way to Jakku, Will reveals that he will no longer take part in the war. He refuses to leave his squadrons in a battle, and therefore Nath pl- takes his place as commander. As the battle for Jakku commences, it becomes apparent that even without keys, shadowing is dangerous. They are using the technology stolen from the rings surrounding Chidawa to cloak their presence and scramble other ships' systems. However, Nath Chas and a handful of other pilots are somehow able to defeat the Yadis, giving the New Republic the upper hand and allowing them to win the battle. On Coruscant, Quell attempts to convince Keyes to abandon his plan due to the mass casualties he's sure to cause in the destruction of the database, but ultimately fails to do so. With the help of Kairos, Keyes' ship is badly damaged, damaged and crashes. Quell pursues him on foot, only to find him taking his dying breaths, still trying to see his mission through. With the New Republic seemingly victorious in the final battle against the Empire, the reign of a new government is born. Quell is placed under arrest, but later freed by Mon Mothma at the behest of Hera. Together, they decide that mercy must be shown to the Imperials when possible, or else their vengeance would only breed further conflict and keep the galaxy from healing. A post-mortem hologram of Keys is released in which he takes credit for all of Shadowing's wrongdoings in an attempt to find mercy for his troops. Several months later, the members of Alphabet Squadron are all living new lives. Will is returned to Polinius, though it's not the home he remembers. He's convinced by his elders to serve as a senator for the planet now that he so deeply understands the ways of the New Republic. Nath Tenzin is back to his old ways. He's looking to start up a crew with some, perhaps not strictly legal work, and is busy recruiting some of the best pilots in the galaxy, including survivors from Shadowing. With her newfound freedom, Quell puts up shop on the planet Spirana, working towards a quiet life as a mechanic. Chas finds herself living the exact life she always feared on Coruscant, scraping together a living, not truly fitting in anywhere. But rather than commit suicide, as she always thought she might, she decides to travel to Spirana and join Quell. A full six years later, Will shows up on Spirana. No one has heard from Nath or Kairos in a long time. Quell and Chas have become a couple and are happy with their new life outside of war and politics. Will has taken on the responsibility of the Reconciliation Project, an initiative to help the galaxy move on from the atrocities of a galactic civil war, and asks if Quell is willing to meet a newfound survivor of Necronis, the planet she helped destroy as part of the original Operation Cinder. She accepts. And thus, Alexander Freed's Alphabet Squadron trilogy comes to a close. Wow, I need uh, to take a You're deep so breath. You're so good at that. You're that so good was, at that. That was sorely was needed, really too, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. Don't read the book next needed. time. Just show up for the round. T- no, I'm kidding. Please read the book. Um, <laughs> yeah, guys, I want to kick back. I want to hear your thoughts. And we're going to do something new. I want you to, to give me your scores, 1 to 10. But since I need to catch my breath and have a sip of my drink, you have a 10 full seconds to tell me why you're giving it the score you're giving it. Not a second over. I will buzz you. I will say or like <laughs> clap or something. Um, but let's go. Let's go to Corey since it was his idea. Corey, what's your oh score? And you have ten <laughs> seconds to tell me why. All right. So before my ten seconds starts. Wow. That's <laughs> oh, okay. what you did. Freaking politician. <laughs> I think I'm gonna go. I'm gonna do something I've never done before. I'm gonna go as far to say that this is the first book I've ever read since we've started this podcast that I can honestly say that I don't think I enjoyed. And that's kind of hard to say a little bit because you know we really focus on positivity. I really like Alexander Freed. I think he's an incredible writer. He's a really technical writer, and I really enjoyed having him on our podcast. Uh, I think he's really, really talented. And his other books I have enjoyed a little bit more than this one. But, man, this one, 
I had a lot of trouble getting through that. I mean, how much did I complain to this to you guys? Like, holy crap. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to give this a this book, the lowest score I've ever given a book on this show, a 6.5. It's the lowest score. And the reason I'm giving it such a low score is I found the book kind of dark. I found it really gritty. I found it pretty depressing. And holy crap, Chas was going to kill herself at the end of it. <laughs> It just didn't put me in a good place. Uh, I don't think. I just I didn't get that same joy. And I think that's the point, right? It's meant to be this sort of gritty war, psychological war thriller book, I guess. But like, you know, I don't like the genre. I don't think so. Low score, six point five. Okay, all right. And forty five seconds later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sorry, um, sorry. All right. You can't. You can't just. In my defense, you can't just crap. You can't just give us a book that low of a score and that's not true, have that's some. Fair, that's fair. That is true. Statement associated okay, with that. Wes, let's go to you next. Okay. Um. So I'll give my score and then I'll give my answer for the ten seconds. Oh, thanks would, for following. This, the we're all just making these things like thirty seconds long. Yeah, you're all gonna right. follow the format. I see. <laughs> So my score is a 7.7, and um, I think it jumped around a lot too much for me, and there's a lot of detail that within all of Alexander Freed's Al- uh, Alphabet Squadron books um, that kind of took me out of it a little bit, um, but I did enjoy the story, and yeah, 7.7. Okay. Hmm. All right. Eric, what do you think? Nice. Um, before my 10 seconds begins, I want I was going to say one thing about <laughs> reviewing that's interesting is that I think that it's so it's cool to recognize as a reader whoever you may be that when a book hits in your life can also affect how you feel about it. Like if you're in a particularly oh, yeah. dark place, a dark book may not be what you want. If you're like in a really you know, if you want more conflict and you read like a romance, maybe you don't may not give that as much love as you would if you were just kind of relaxed. So that's cool. All that to say, that's fine. Like, the <clears> books <throat> lead you different places. Uh, my rating, I'm going to give this one probably a 9.2 myself. I love these characters a lot. I really liked how it all ended. I think that it, it really did a great job of kind of tightening everything together, adding in stuff like Coruscant, big, big set pieces like that, and really giving every single character the finality of the arc that they had started building back in the first book. And <clears> Will <throat> becomes Bail Organa. So, come on, what... What can I do? <laughs> yeah. All right. Charles, what about you? So I th- Also, I do I do have the Utini review pulled up, too. We can kind of oh, look yeah. at that briefly. Oh, I didn't want to mention that, too. Also. I've never mentioned this in, the, in these videos. I got to get better at this. Wes does a great freaking job every week of putting so much info in the YouTube description. So if you're watching now, we have the Alphabet Squadron reading guide link is there. Uh, a link to buy the book. If you hit the genius link, it'll do whatever country you're in. You can locally get it. It has our video review and our written review of the book. So if you're on YouTube, all of those resources Wes puts in, and I never mention. So go check out those links. Uh, what you think? So you know, I think I'm going to give this book an 8.0, and. I'm going to say with my actual 10 seconds, it's really hard not to score this book almost how you look back on the trilogy, I think, because it's so informed by the first two books. I think it was, from front to back, my least favorite of the three, but the end is epic, and re-experiencing the Battle of Jakku was a lot of fun. I was surprised on that note how much the Battle of Jakku has like kind of resonated. Like I get excited... Because the Aftermath trilogy obviously featured it. We see Jakku. It's the first planet we get in Force Awakens other than, you know, the Kylo Ren. Or no, it is Jakku. Like, 
I, are you guys surprised at how much Jakku kind of makes us yeah. excited? Why does Weirdly? everyone want to go back to no, Jakku? It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. I know. I, I really enjoyed the, in fact, the, the third act of this book is the gigantic redeeming quality. Yes. I think that it's pretty hard to ignore. All of the space action that happens is phenomenal. Like, I think, I think Freed is really in his element when he's writing like space battles and stuff like that. It's really, really good. Like, it feels like the old X Wing series, like, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I do have the Utini uh, review pulled up really quick, um, and here it is on the page here. And this, the team, the review team, gave the book a nine point uh, In the breakdown, it's nine for plot, nine point five for characters, eight point eight for writing, eight point eight for originality, eight point eight for entertainment. Excuse me. And this is a good opportunity to sort of plug the review team because, unlike me, who can't form a coherent sentence when he like goes to uh give a book a score the review team puts a great deal of thought and effort and they all talk and it's a big collaborative process and how they create their, our scores right so it's actually like intelligent people that know what they're doing when it comes to reviewing like we put a lot of effort into our reviews so like i will freely admit that i'm probably wrong here and i'm hoping that 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 this conversation sort of changes my opinion of the book um, a good deal. And, you know, I think, I think this is also a good time to point out that like, this is, there are a number of books throughout star Wars history that are like incredibly well received by one group and just not really cared for by another group. Sure. Like there are books that are pretty universally loved, like the X wing series, for example, the air of the empire series, for example, but like there are a lot of books like Darth Plagueis is a good example. There's a lot of people who are like, oh my God, you have to read Darth Plagueis. This is the best book ever. And a lot of people were like, I found that book so boring. Like I hated it. So, you know, I think I think Freed might be that canon writer where like he either really speaks to your soul or you just don't really get it. And if you don't get it, it doesn't matter how how far into the book you are, like me, you're not going to get it. Sure. Right. So and and I think that was just the case for me. Is it just I could not get into this book for some reason. I don't know why it is. And, and just as a reminder, none of us are going to tell Corey he's wrong, or anyone that agrees <laughs> with him that they're wrong. No, and, no, and Corey's no. not going to tell us that we're wrong. We're just going to have a nice, informed discussion and see where things shake out at the end. So, guys, let's let's go ahead and, and start talking about characters because that's how we always start all of these roundtables. We're going to talk about characters, then overarching questions. Uh, then we'll have some fun with some Easter eggs at the end. But Victory's Price and really this entire trilogy was 450 pages of character study. And the first yeah, person that true. I would really like to talk about is actually someone who came to the forefront in this novel and was not as big a part uh, in the first two books in this trilogy, and that's General Hera Syndulla. And oh, yeah. we've now, if if you watched Rebels, if you're familiar with what Hera has been in before, <laughs> we've seen her go from a pilot of a small freighter in Star Wars Rebels, and, and now she's a general in the New Republic military, personally commanding a Star Destroyer, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, how did it feel to get to spend a significant <laughs> amount of time, perhaps the most time since Rebels, with the character of Hera again? I I really like like the uh, I really like General Harrison Duel a lot. Like I, I think yes, like that character. She's idea. very much she's very much like like Princess Leia, like General Leia Organa. Like I mean, she's just a good leader, but she's serious and she understands the cost of war. And she was a great character. I really One might say the, the price the, of victory. 
Mm. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I completely agree. I, I've loved Hera uh, ever since Rebels, obviously. Listen to the Ghost Crew on the Utini Patreon for more. But I I really liked getting more of her in this. I, I like that we didn't get too much of her in the beginning because I think the first book we all talked about was so good because it stood on the strength of its original characters, and I think you needed to give them that space. But I really liked giving her that level of importance in this one and it really helped kind of connect us to the larger plot of star wars as a whole too getting a general's perspective as opposed to just squadron leaders i think gave us an insight into them similarly to how getting keys perspective from the imperial point of view you know yeah she like the reveal that they had with Hera was great and they didn't really shoehorn her in or anything um, and they also or i say they and uh, alexander freed also wrote her um with the uh, with experience, so, so she has experience as a as a as a yeah, fighter pilot. That's a good way to put it. And she mm-hmm. portrayed that to all of the Alphabet Squadron members, um, help familiarize herself with, um, like with her soldiers and the people that she commands. And, and I think it's I think Free did really well with that with connecting those characters. Yeah, Amy makes a great point in the chat. She says that Hera seemed a little less confident and more stressed, like a spark was missing, but it makes sense given the circumstances. And I think that's a great point. Everyone in this book, probably Hera most of all, just seemed very tired in like an authentic yeah. way, you know? And I think that might have yeah, been a part yeah. of the, the arduous reading for you, especially, Corey. G- right, exactly. The reality of war. <laughs> yes, the reality of, of war, the reality of being in the Rebel Alliance. But that's what this book is supposed to do is, yeah. is, is really to take you away from the, like, glory of it all right like yeah. you know i'm kind of a world war ii buff i really enjoy reading stuff i enjoy reading about the european front i think most people enjoy reading and learning about the european fronts why it's been portrayed in so many video games and stuff mm-hmm, right in mm-hmm. world war ii is like because when you look at italy or the pacific it it wasn't good <laughs> like it was there wasn't anything glorious about it it was you know every one hill at a time slog after slog you know your everybody's buddies were getting blown to hell all around them like it's like it was just hard war and i think that's what this book is supposed to highlight is like there is a lot of like i love that line toward the end of the end of the book where uh mon mothma i think it's mon mothma says to no it was hera says it to um quell she says uh like something about discussing right and wrong that that question is for philosophers and mm-hmm. that's that's what this book was man is it was just a discussion of like what is right and wrong and mm-hmm. it makes me question everything it makes my brain hurt so i'm just like <laughs> bro i just want to see x-wings <laughs> shoot each other like yeah like i'm just not i'm not i'm not i wasn't mentally prepared for that i guess and sure. it's just such a heavy hard-hitting novel and freed is brilliant at writing it that way too because like even Hera, which we've seen depicted in a cartoon show for mm-hmm. crying out loud, is like gritty and sad and depressed and tired and the way that you expect kind of a war torn leader to be. So yeah. I thought it was an excellent depiction. One of the best depictions in the book, I think. Yeah. Well, Accurate yet exhausting. Yeah. Is this the first yes. instance we see Hera as a general outside of Rebel? Like <clears throat> Say past the, rebels. The I think she's, yeah, I think she's been in. Uh, maybe so, actually. Well, squadrons. I, was to think I of, guess that would be the other one. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which but took yeah, place this after is the first. Shadowfall, right? I think in right. the, technically in the timeline. Yeah, but I mean, y'all, y'all are right. I thought it really was true uh, or a true depiction of her character. It felt like Hera. It just felt like a new 
version of her. And on page nine, we get a quote that really jumped out to me about her. And it says, she'd been as guilty as anyone in believing the war would end after the emperor's death. She'd known better and still she'd believed. She'd longed for a return to her family and she fought through that yearning now. And we got a, a lot of quotes actually about her wanting to get back to her family, wanting to get back to her home world. I'm curious, do y'all think that she's just referencing her son, Jason, or might she also be referring to the family of the ghost? Is she thinking about Sabine? Mm. Is she thinking about Ezra? What's going through her mind? I think based on the context clues we get in both Shadowfall and this, I think it's just Jason for now. I think that Ezra, that was the hard thing about this book too, though, you know, like avoiding the cameo of like the Rebels crew, because it's not a Rebels book. Mm-hmm. Hera's yeah. in it, but it's not, it's not Rebels. We're not yeah. like, I'm, even though I think I kind of wanted to see Jason when I first started reading, I'm really glad we didn't. Like, I didn't think we needed, that would have, I think, made it too gimmicky, um, I think that Hera is just an old soldier that wants her son and a nap. You know, I <laughs> <Yeah>. think <laughs> so. I'm I'm going with that because like, I don't think, for my money, I don't think Hera is ever gonna remarry. I guess for the for the sake, even though Shane Cannon weren't married, you get what I mean. Yeah. Um, I don't think she's thinking about Ezra and Sabine right now. I think she just wants to get home to her son and a peaceful galaxy. Yeah, that's kind of how I saw. I saw with her just trying to get back to Jason. Um, it never came across my mind that she, maybe the ghost crew or Sabine or Ezra might show up in this. So, um, mm. maybe that's to, maybe that's to, to Alexander Freed's writing and yeah. making me not yeah. think of, of that, of just her being the character itself and not trying to, uh, spiral off into something else. Yeah. On the, uh, real quick on that, I think it's an interesting thing as Star Wars readers we have to contend with, right? Like, we always want every character we've ever known to show up, but you also don't want it to become overburdened. Like, some of the, the later Legends things got a little overburdened with trying to fit too many cameos in yeah. so to make the universe feel big. Whereas a really good writer can make, like, you know, like, Panaka shows up and Leia Princess of Alderaan, and I'm like, oh, Quarsh Panaka? Like, you know, who cares? <laughs> but it's written so well that that makes a big deal. Whereas this one... You know, the original characters have so much weight on their own that I'm happy as, as much with them. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, it, it's one of those things where I think if they had showed up, it, it would have been or or even been talked about to some degree. It would have been like, what are they doing here? You know, yeah. like it's in the yeah. back of our <laughs> minds. Those of us that maybe have experienced other things within the Star Wars fandom, those of us who have watched Rebels, but you didn't have to have watched Rebels to to read these books and to enjoy these books. And that's Probably right. a smart move. Um, but what really struck me in this book in particular about Hera is how much her journey parallels that of Leia, actually. And mainly it's that she has two hugely important roles that she has to fulfill simultaneously. And that's being a general in this military and also being a mother. And now we know how that turned out with Leia and with you know Kylo or Ben Solo. But here we see Hera torn between these roles in the novel. And one telling moment in particular came on page 168 when Nath asks Hera about her plans for after the war. And he says, what about you? You vying for a job as as Supreme Commander after the war's over? Hadn't crossed my mind, Syndulla said. I'm actually hoping to get away from the fleet. I've got, well, there's personal business I have to take care of. Whenever that's done, I'd like to live in peace for a while. Everything we're doing now, it's for the New Republic, not for us. But I've got a family. I've got a son who needs me, a homeworld I haven't seen in too long. I've got people I care about. 
I want to live for them for a while instead of for the galaxy. And then another moment comes on page 316 when she says, I wasn't always running a fleet. Sometimes I miss the freedom to follow my conscience where it takes me. Mm-hmm. And both of those comments were really telling, I felt. And the first question I have is, do you think, do you think this implies that fighting this war maybe goes against Hera's conscience when she says she wants to stop fighting and follow her conscience for a while? Yeah, that's a good, good question. It's like uh, like that quote that Cassian says in, in Rogue One where he's talking about, I love that that sort of monologue he has where he's got all those guys behind him and he's like, we're assassins and saboteurs and we've all done stuff that we're not proud of for the Alliance and stuff. And I think that's kind of what Heather, uh, Heather, what Hera, <laughs> it's kind of what Hera is getting at here is like, well, Heather. Hey, Heather, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> uh, I think that's what she's she's getting at here is like, yeah, I think it has to go against her conscience. I mean, she makes huge, huge decisions that, you know, kill tons of people. Yeah, so, she's singing on a yeah. grand scale as a general, right? She's seeing yeah. the, the large body counts, um, whereas in, I guess, in her previous adventures with the Rebels crew, I mean, one here, one there maybe, I don't know. But yeah, you kill yeah. a couple stormtroopers, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. fine. You got well, helmets it, on, you can't see them. And it's a great point. I mean, we all know that, you know, with military leaders especially, you do have to make those decisions by the numbers. Like, I got to send this mm-hmm. troop here, and they will all die, and I know that. But if they die, then this, like, five times as many people will escape to the left. And I think that she's had to make a few too many of those decisions for herself. Yeah. And uh, Maggie makes a great point in the chat now that this, the thing you were just talking about, Charles, you know, she makes that reference – and Maggie says she hopes that that means that she'll help out with the search for Ezra. And I think that's absolutely possible that maybe that is the thing after the war where she's like, that's the personal business. Cause maybe Sabine has been doing it this whole time. And she's like, I can get back to that once we're done. Yeah. Um, and I like that separation, but yeah, I think it's gotta be hard for someone that if you go all the way back to, uh, what is it? A new dawn. When we first technically meet Hera, you know, she's a little more freedom fightery. She's like, it's all based around conscience. It's all based around saving people, right? And then the ghost crew, it goes a little, okay, it's a little on a bigger scale. And we have to lose some ships, like Phoenix Squadron gets murdered every other episode or whatever. And now it's losing thousands of people, maybe every day. And I think that how could you not be absolutely emotionally devastated out of that? So I think she's ready. Yeah, yeah. And that kind of leads me to another point because Hera is obviously a main character. And I don't think ever since she popped up in the Alphabet Squadron trilogy, I don't think any of us ever really feared that she would survive, right, and move on to whatever her next adventure is. But, yeah, you know, I did. Did you? I got worried in this only because I was like, the more I started reading this one, I'm like, I don't think any of the main people are going to (laughs) die. Yeah, I was. I I cannot. I cannot. I uh, I can't believe we made it. I can't believe we made it through this book without killing off a major character. I I really thought. I really thought we were going to lose somebody. Charles joked so much about Will Lark going to get it in this book that I was convinced that it was going to happen. Yeah, that's one of the reasons. That's one of the reasons why I had to to read the book like it was because I was so expecting somebody to die. Yeah, thanks guys. Manage your expectations, Wes. Sign the shirt. Will will deserve to die, but we'll get around to him. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right, guys, I'm taking no. over. I got the prompts. So, no, no, no. 
So I personally, I didn't think Hera was going to die, but let's look at, you know, what she's doing in the universe outside of maybe what our expectations were or my expectations were. She's fighting a war and she could die at, at any moment. And there's no promise that she's going to get through it and get back to her family or get back to her home world, like she says, really is her goal. So why do you think she continues to risk it? What's keeping Hera fighting? Hmm. I think it's so close. Like, I, I've had this feeling the last couple of weeks with uh, with COVID, right? Where, like, we're so close. Like, vaccines are rolling out. The end is nice. So I've been, like, doubling down even harder on, like, mask wearing and, and all the stuff that I did anyway. Because I'm like, we can't lose it here. You know, we're at the five-yard line. And I think that's where <laughs> Hera is now. She's like, the emperor is dead. There's a few more remnants we, we have to get them all because if we don't, mm-hmm. then they're going to start back up and we're going to have to do the whole thing again. You know? So it's like that you're exhausted, but mm. because you can see the light, your resolve like triples. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's a great point. Yeah. Free, free medical advice tangent. Just for the record, folks, you still can get COVID just because you've been vaccinated. So um, smart. I have a colleague, I have a colleague that uh, has gotten COVID who is a, uh, another doctor. So mm-hmm. like, you know, we all got vaccinated months ago, so you know you still got to wear your mask and wash your hands going out. You know, you heard it on the Living Force. That's right. <laughs> you still can't get co- still can't get COVID even though you're vaccinated. Harrison Dula would wash her hands. We need those like posters everywhere else. <laughs> but yeah, that's what I think she is. She's like, I'm. I can see my son, and if I let up, and the Empire comes fully back, then it's another five years of not seeing my son. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. I, like that I think that's. I think it has to feel hopeless, though, and that was really that was really highlighted a lot in this book of like, God, when does it end? And I think that's kind of where Will was at at the end of the book, right? Sure. It's like, yeah. you know, you've been fighting this crap for so long. Like, what do we do? We have to literally murder all of them before they surrender, right? So mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I'm curious because I brought up kind of the parallel between Hera and Leia, and I want to know what are the key differences. Uh, that y'all see between those two characters. And specifically, of course, I'm talking about General Leia, you know, in in that Mm -hmm. sequel trilogy kind of timeline. I think that General Leia, she's going back to a cause that she knew as a a younger woman. And I think she feels at home there. Like, what do they say? Like, she says, or Han says in episode seven, like, we both went back to what we were good at. Or I went back to what I was good at, and Leia says we both did. Hmm. Like, Leia feels, whether she may like it or not, probably more at home being a general, being in a meeting room, being around a war table than she ever did being a mother to an extent, as far as the canon information we've gotten. Whereas Hera, I think even though she's been the freedom fighter, I think she feels Mm -hmm. more at home as a member of the family, because that's what the ghost crew gave her, that's what Jason gives her. Ooh, Ooh, I just had a... I had a great idea. What if uh, I want to? What if we got a book all about Hera after the war? I'd love like, that. I'd love that. Yeah, that would be really, really fun to see her explore trying to trying to live a normal life and like yeah. getting sucked into the politics of the New Republic. Because you know, a, a character like Hera would is gonna be right there, like next to Princess Leia, right? Like yeah. how Leia tried to live a normal life and got sucked back into being a leader in the New Republic Senate and things like that. Like, that would be a fun read, I believe. Yeah, like Bloodline, uh, Claudia Gray's novel, if y'all haven't, are watching and haven't read that, does a great job with that kind of thing because it shows just how hard it is to stay away. You know, we a lot of 
um, soldiers coming back from war, right? That's a huge PTSD thing. Like, it, you can't leave it all behind. And I think that Hera may have an easier time with it than Leia did, but there's definitely those remnants, like you're saying, Corey. That's a great point. Yeah. Well, so speaking of some of the throwback original trilogy characters, Mon Mothma pops up a little bit in this book too. And and there was one bit that really kind of stuck out to me and it was early on in the book. It was on page 38. And it's when Hera thinks to herself, no one pointed out that she hadn't answered Nath's query about Senate authorization. Hera believed in democracy in the New Republic Senate and in Chancellor Mon Mothma, but she also knew that uh, expending New Republic lives to save unrepentant Imperials would cause controversy at the Capitol. She'd take the consequences as they came. So even though Hera feels this immense debt or, or responsibility, rather, to the New Republic and to seeing it through to when they are, are the people who are really are running the galaxy, we see she's still willing to defy probably what the Senate would want, what Mon Mothma would want as the Chancellor. So do you think Hera is valuing her own determination of good and evil over the New Republic's? And if so, how do you think she makes that mesh with her fighting this war for them. Ooh, I, ah, man, first of all, Mon Mothma is such an interesting character. I think she's a good one where, where anytime a writer is like, oh, I don't know, what's Mon Mothma up to? And they just kind of like throw her in, she's like a Saw Gerrera-ish. <laughs> what's um, Mon Mothma up to? Somebody, somebody <laughs> should document her life like on a timeline. Like how much like, stuff it would has be, she done? It would be nuts. It's wild, but I think, I think Mon Mothma is, is an interesting foil to almost anyone that is not Mon Mothma in politics or the military, right? Because she is such an idealist. Um, mm-hmm. Being the chancellor at this moment is interesting because I think, to answer your question, Charles, mm-hmm. Hera still definitely has that Ryloth ghost leader freedom fighter in her. She is still mm-hmm. like, I'm going to sacrifice all these things, but there is a point where I know what needs to be done. I've flown that ship. I have led that squadron when we didn't have approval and we have won the day we have saved lives. Like how many things did they do in rebels that they just had to do? Like they had to do yeah. the mission, you know? And I think that that never quite right. leaves you when you've been on a team like that. You know, I think that to, to get back to your last point, that's another difference between her and Leia where Leia has boots on the ground on occasion, but is so good around the table is so good at political maneuvering. Cause that's her whole life. Whereas Hera started as an operative, Mm-hmm. So I think that yeah. is a huge difference. Definitely. Well, so to wrap up Hera, I have one more question for y'all. And it, it comes from page 280. And it's when Hera first sees Quell return uh, to the New Republic fleet. And all she says is, welcome home. And that really struck me. And it, it made me question, how important is the spirit of forgiveness for Hera's success as a commander for these troops? And do you credit that spirit in any way for Quell's redemption? I'm really glad we have a light book, you know? That's not really thick with <laughs> life thoughts. I'm not even sure. Like, that's a whole conversation in and of itself. <laughs> is Quell even redeemed? I mean, we'll, really? We'll, like, can we'll we say there. that she is? Welcome to a Star oh Wars God. podcast. Is forgiveness an important trait? Um, <laughs> I don't even. I have such mixed feelings about all of this now, with in regards to forgiveness and 
Oh man, my head hurts. <laughs> so I, I think. Yeah. I, my, my one thought I had. I want to hear you, Wes. Uh, and I immediately thought of because I'm in such a rebels mood, obviously with Hera. Is the episodes with her and her father, mm-hmm. and Hera does mm-hmm. such a great job in that show realizing how much holding on to things can hurt relationships. Yeah. Like I think her yeah. and Cham spent decades just not speaking or like all these things, and I think she realizes throughout Rebels that oh that was all wasted time like forgiveness was came so easily once we did it and our lives were so much better that i think hera has even in canon gone through enough gone yeah. through enough trials to say i'm of course i'm going to forgive you it it makes no sense to hold on to this resentment even even for someone like quell that has on the surface maybe betrayed some maybe betrayed the republic you know she's like nope I forgive you. You're home. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. It's not even a question for her anymore. Yeah. And in the context of kind of that paragraph or, or that chapter, Quell just got off of, um, I guess, being rescued, if you will, by uh, Chas and by Kairos. Um, and she's walking up to, uh, she's walking up to Hera and has all these things running through her head, right? Like, oh my God, what is she going to say to me? Is she going to throw me in the brig? Am I going to, um, in prison the rest of my life. Well, what's going to happen? Then she's just like, "Welcome home." And then Hera, like, in the context of that, Hera was like, "We'll work out the details later. Just kind of clean slate. Um, don't make you yeah. feel overwhelmed while your first, you know, steps on the back on the star destroyer." Impressive leadership. Quality Absolutely. That, Absolutely. Yeah. I don't, I don't think. I think a lot of people missed that. I mean, I certainly struggle with forgiveness a lot. So it's like I don't really understand. I mean, she's a fictional character, I suppose, but like, still, I mean, her her ability to, like, I love that that you brought that up, Wes, because in that scene where she's like walking to the hangar, she said she had all these racing thoughts, and like she's gonna lock her in the brig. Like, she went through all the all the thoughts in her head, but as soon as she was in the moment, you know, her gut is to be, you know, to forgive, right? And I'm just like, that's it's an it's an impressive leadership quality. Yeah, looking at our chat here as we're getting this like really deep conversation, which I love. Um, Amy brings up a good question, and Andrew brings up a good point. Amy asks, can everything be forgiven? Which I think is a great question for this book. Is also a great question for life as a whole. And Andrew makes a great point. That's a question for those that she wronged. And I think that's a great way to kind of carry the idea of redemption and forgiveness in all fiction and in all life, is that those people that are wronged, we can see if someone has wronged you, you can make the decision to forgive them. But if you have wronged yeah. someone, you don't get to decide if you forgive it or not. And I think that's the that's the weight of consequence. That's the burden of redemption is that forgiveness is not owed. It is gifted. And I think that yeah. Hera does a really great <clears throat> job of gifting Quell with the the idea of forgiveness and redemption. And there are some people that never do. For Quell specifically, even. I think that's great. I mean, Chas is so angry at her, and then I love their ending so much because eventually she gets yeah. to that point where she gives her the gift of redemption and forgiveness, and Quell has enough integrity to have the patience to wait for it. Yeah. So, Soren Keys is a great example of that, right? Yes, like, that's for his sure. entire phil- That's mm-hmm. his entire philosophical mantra is that, mm-hmm. like, you know, you can't, like, they kept asking that question. I really loved this question in this book is, like, is the new Republic capable of issuing justice? Like it can justice right. like be given out. I'm just like, 
dude, that's such a big question. I'm not ready for it. I'm just, I'm just trying to go to work. Is this, what's this Star Wars? Like, what the Where's hell? Where's the X-Wing going to fight like, the blue? Like, ex- exactly. You know? And, and it's, uh. it's so, you know, it's so interesting that writers always, you know, say that you, you can't not be influenced by the world you, within you, you write. You know, like whether you're writing a fictional world of dragons or, or star pilots or whatever it is, the world around you in 2021 or 20, probably what, 18, 17, when you started this till now, the world, I think the idea of redemption and forgiveness has been huge based on yeah, various that's a atrocities. Huge part of human history, right. Freed, I think, did a great job throughout this trilogy, which again factors into my scoring and factors into my thoughts about the trilogy of taking mm-hmm. in the questions that we're all dealing with on if not daily like a pretty regular basis of who does deserve forgiveness who is earnestly repent repentant and what are consequences freaking andrew (laughs) in the chat just getting way too philosophical right i love it what if i told you no human institution is capable of perfect justice get out dude (laughs) get out i just want star destroyers to blow each other up all right explain the justice league (laughs) <laughs> how, did, how did Snyder cut Snyder cut if Snyder cut couldn't justice? I mean, okay. that's, that's the clip, point. Wes. You're welcome. There you go. Well, yeah. <laughs> the, whole, the whole time I was reading this book, I'm I'm just thinking of World War II, the Nazis, and the Nuremberg trials. Like, yep, sure. Right. Yeah, Can, yeah, me too, man. Yeah, no. it's not accidental. But right. this book, it really felt like a book. That I'm not was forgiving written. Nazis. Sorry, I want to. I feel like I should go on the record and say like, yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> in the terms of this conversation i love it but like nazis are a different thing <laughs> but this book really it felt like it was written in 2020 didn't it like it it yes, was for sure yes. it reflected yeah, yeah. the year that was 2020 but let's it yeah. hurt like like it the did. book it hurts like yes. your soul that's like that's why i say i did not enjoy reading it is because every time i read the book like it asks such thought-provoking hard questions yep. that like it took. It, I don't want that. I want. I want to escape to a. But it's a fantasy world, and and I. I don't think it's a bad thing that those questions are in there. It's just like. It, it wasn't the story I wanted. Yeah. I think yeah. right. But it's four hundred and fifty so, pages. Yeah. Sure. It's like the. It's like the polar opposite of ripping a bandit off like quickly. It's like four hundred and fifty yes, yeah. pages <laughs> of it's like pulling a the razor blade on your, your forearm, just like slowly <laughs> well, peeling it, the skin off your arm, and it's like and it's so man, it's so heavy, and it's so, it's so interesting so having a year like this where we have stories like Light of the Jedi, which are like there's heroes and there's light and there's always hope that will drown out the darkness. And then there's like, what if you can never be forgiven for the atrocities you've committed in your life? I know. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I can't, guys. Star know, Wars books are not a genre. It's a heavy. Okay? It's a heavy. <laughs> it was a heavy book. It's by far the heaviest Star Wars book I've ever read. Yeah. And, well, and physically, I like, think it some is large. People, <laughs> some people are gonna freaking love that. Like yep. Andrew said on our team that it's his favorite Star Wars book he's ever read. I think. Yeah. And that's like, I think a lot of people are probably gonna feel that way. That like it hits in just that right way of that sort of philosophical mm-hmm. realism that. You know, people are chasing. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's yep. talk about someone who maybe needs redemption. We'll we'll see what you guys think. I want to talk about Will Lark next. Uh, Eric's favorite, uh, oh maybe maybe when not it- mine. Uh, <laughs> hey, hey, man, that's fair. That is fair. Now we've watched Will grow from a young man thrust into a war that he didn't support to then becoming the Alphabet Squadron commander. 
in this novel. And let's remind ourselves just a little bit about who Will is at his core, as if Eric needs that. A couple of thoughts from his squadron mates in this book really <laughs> serve to do that. On page 315, Quell says this. She realized with a rush of relief that if there was anyone in the galaxy she trusted not to do evil, it was Will Lark. And then on page 167, Nath says this about Will. The man bludgeons you with empathy until you start to <laughs> like him. So this is who oh, we're talking about. This is Will Lark, okay? The golden yeah. boy, if you will. Now, that said, Will finds himself as leader of not only Alphabet Squadron in this book, but all of the fighter pilot squadrons aboard Hera's flagship. And despite finding himself in that role, on page 67, we see Will state, I didn't leave home so I could lead people into battle. So tell me this. Why did Will leave home? I think he left home to protect home. Frank, I think that... His only goal was, I want to do my part. Mm-hmm. I want to protect my place I love. And then I want to go back and live in that peace that we've earned. And I think, it, similarly to Hera, it has gone on for so much longer. <laughs> He's had to do so many horrible things he never <clears throat> could have conceived of. It's like, you know, a very sheltered childhood, essentially, going off and being like, oh, my God, this is the world. And as the as the resident Will Lark lover, I will I will take that title proudly um i will agree with amy in the chat uh will did make me very mad in this book however not because he was written poorly i think he was written exactly the arc he needed to have which frustrated me because when he left i was like i hate this decision but i also Mm -hmm. track it perfectly i think it is like he's not fully trained in battle all the time he wants to get away from the carnage, and he is naive enough to not understand that that will then cause more lives to be destroyed, and that will like hurt morale and all these things that the lifetime soldiers know. And my personal favorite Will is probably in the first book, but I think his arc is one of the most fascinating because yeah. Freed risks one of the protagonists doing something that the audience isn't going to like and isn't going to agree with, but I think a solid narrative does that from time to time and i thought will was uh really fascinating in that regard in this in this part of the trilogy yeah now maybe you'll answer this with the same exact answer that you gave for will but i want to ask a similar question about the elders of polinius or of his home world um because on page 184 will says uh, he wanted the mission to succeed. The thought of living with Chidawa's death on his conscience was an impossible one. Yet urging the pilots to fight, well, felt like hypocrisy. Those weren't the uh, those weren't the sentiments of a Polynesian. So these aren't the the sentiments of a Polynesian to go fight these battles. So mm. why did the elders, the pillars, and the leaders of of Polynesian culture send the hundred and twenty, which was the the whole group of pilots <laughs> that were sent from their world? Are are they all dead? By the way, is that what was implied in this? No. That's what I. Oh, no, they're not the, all the dead. 120? No. 119. No, he was the, the last one. 119. I, I think that a lot of them. To it. <laughs> the 119 and a half. We got one more. Uh, no, I think that's. <laughs> I got the idea that some of them may have died, but all, all most of them had like returned home. Like they had they they done made that statement. Yeah. They, they, they said it was the last one out. Yeah, they yeah. said yeah. everyone that was left had returned home. Some had died, but everyone that was alive had returned except for okay. Will. He's in his bunk. He's just like, what? <laughs> what am I still doing here? You yeah. can't send me a text message or message my beater. 
That's a great point, though. Because, like, I mean, I think Will's like, wait a minute, I could leave. Like, everyone else I know that, went home. Why can't have you I? Seen that, uh, have you seen that? that show? I think it's, I don't know if it's on Netflix or if it's on Amazon Prime. Of like the, uh, it's like a, it's a cool wilderness show where like all these people go out in the wilderness and they're all by themselves with their own cameras and stuff and like Naked and afraid. The person that Naked stays out. <laughs> no, no, the one that the the one like it's a competition. The person that stays out there the longest gets a million dollars, but they don't get they don't get to know if any of the other people have like called it quits already right, right? so like i've heard about it you live out there forever more anyway it's a really entertaining show it's one of those one of the best survivor shows so ever bad watched. to be I'm the like... first one back <laughs> just be like, are you <laughs> yeah, serious exactly <laughs> a, bunch, a bunch of people quit quit like the first day like so you know yeah. still still i i would find that maddening of like not knowing when to quit like that would be so maddening and i think that's kind of how will has to feel a little bit too because he feels like he's going against his principles and everything and like Everybody else is already going home. Like, why am I still here? Does that make me? Does that make me a bad Polinian? Like, but if it's yeah. so bad to go in the first place, why are the elders the the wisest group of the Polinian culture of the planet as a whole? Why did they send them out if not to go and fight this <clears throat> war? Well, maybe they think the war is done. You know, because I think that there's there's the potential that you know the emperor is dead. We saw the victory celebration at the end of Return of the Jedi. You know, maybe a lot of the planets yeah. are like, great. That's what we wanted. And maybe the immediate threat to Polinius is over, you know? Yeah. Maybe. Maybe they, maybe part of the maybe part of their culture feels like it's just in some way. I don't know. It doesn't really We I don't feel like we really got a good idea of what Polinian culture really philosophically thinks time. about war yeah. that really I think. Like it was sort of implied that it was a little a little counterintuitive to their counter of their culture maybe, right. but I'm not really sure. Well, let's get to what I would argue is one of the character-defining moments for Will in this novel and in the trilogy as a whole. And that happened on page 330 when, as we've been kind of referencing already, Will tells the pilots that he is not going to join the fight at the Battle of Jakku. And this is what he says. I'm going to skip around a little bit, but uh, he says, I won't be joining the attack. I'm not sure there should be an attack at all. The Empire has fled across the galaxy to a desert world not even listed on most charts. The sector's barely populated, and so far as we can tell, the, imp- the Imperials aren't doing any harm. They're not conquering new territory. They're not wiping out populations. Operation Cinder is finished. They're scared now, and they're entrenching, and they're trying to survive. If we go in, who are we helping? What are we doing other than killing people? Listen, I know they've done awful things. I know they could do awful things again. I know it is well or better than anyone here, but if now isn't the time to put our weapons aside and sue for peace, what is? We'll never kill every every authoritarian zealot with a gun or win over every imperial hardliner. At some point, we've got to accept that we've already won and find a way to end the violence. We've saved as many lives as we can save, but the war ended a year ago. It's time to walk away. And so... Uh, I mean that's heavy, and and it, it makes it's so frustrating. Sense. Though. Yeah, yeah, like, it, it makes sense, but it's right idea. So yeah, yes. So so let me ask this prompt because we're already answering it. But I I figure we may have differing opinions on this decision. But do you respect Will for staying true to his ideals, or did you find it cowardly to leave the others to fight his battle, or a little bit of both? And make sure you support your answer. I sound like an English Ooh. teacher. <laughs> yeah, you do. So for th- for this one, I initially 
was frustrated at the character because I, as a reader, knew what the Empire was doing with Cinder. I knew that, I knew that Keyes was still trying to push Cinder, right? However, in the moment, like the, the New Republic doesn't necessarily have all that info that I, as an omniscient reader, has. So I tried to like come at it at that angle. Everything Will is saying, I think, is something that we assume stereotypical heroes say. Right? Like, every movie, when the hero is fighting the villain, the villain's down on the ground, and they're like, finish it. The hero says no and walks away. Mm-hmm. Right? Every time. That's the heroic thing we're Strike taught. Yeah, but down. if the Batman just killed Joker, holy crap, all the lives it would have saved. And here's like, the come difference. But, but, so, and I, and I, want, I do want to hear that point of view because I'm also, I think you're going to have a great argument for it for this particular one i think that will is a person who has had to take life and hates it he knows how it feels to kill a person many times over and i think he's like our victory is won my people are safe who i can't go home to yet even though all everyone else has gone home for some reason you want me to kill these people who are running for you want me to shoot people in the back essentially and to be the good guy and then you want me to go home and sleep at night and celebrate that and i think that i completely understand why he would think that that way and even though in the terms of the narrative i as a reader i'm like no you got to finish the battle because the big battle is coming up later in the story i can't fault will for his logic yeah i think i think i can fault will for his logic (laughs) do it no the reason I can do that is because it feels woefully naive. It feels like a, a, a naive statement to say, what's the point of this? They're just entrenched here. We're just, like, signing up to kill them. But, like, that's that's not – I mean, yes, that makes sense that in this one moment that that's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And, like, maybe up to this point, every small mission that Will has flown has, like, had some sort of purpose to it, right? We're trying to stop Operation Cinder. We're trying to save Chattawa. Like, we're trying to do all these things, right? Like, in here, that's there's not, like, a clear goal. But there is tomorrow. Like, there's a goal tomorrow, right? Yeah. Like, you know, the destruction of what's left of the Empire is to save the next unknown planet that the Empire is going to destroy, right? Like, so it it feels hypocritical to me that he's like suddenly not okay with war because of this one mission and i'm like i don't know that i don't know that a soldier gets the gets the you know the privilege of being able to make that kind of decision right like Mm -hmm. i don't know that he can he can just say that this this is suddenly the battle that's unjust that i'm not okay with and i just don't i don't really see how it's any different than the other battle he's fought because, I mean, you make a good point, too. Like, they're not going after, like, unarmed civilians to, like, make a point against the Empire. It's still it's still soldiers. It's still ships. It's still weaponry. So, yeah. It's still the 204th, and they literally yeah. just tried to murder Chattawa, like, right before that they all went to Jakku. So, like, I don't know. Yeah. Solid point. Wes, what do you think? Do you want to kill everyone like Corey, or do you want to, like, go home and sleep without nightmares like uh, me? I mean, it's your choice. I mean... It's a, little, it's a little of both. It's got to be yeah. a little of both. You know? yeah, a little sure. column A, a little, little column B. B. <laughs> I want to kill some I mean, people and then go sleep okay. I mean. <laughs> yeah. He's in, like, he's, like like you said, Corey, I mean, he's had numerous battles where he's killed, and all of a sudden he, during this one battle, he, he feels that his conscience is, is outweighing what he's done in the past. And what really kind of stuck out to me was when he's trying to turn Blink when they're fighting each other, when she's trying to stab him with like yeah. a with some kind of tool, and he's like, <laughs> I know. She, 
like he literally says, "You don't have to. You don't have to do <laughs> like, this. Come like, on, you're fighting bro. right now, dude. Like, Just <laughs> smack her in the head with a wrench. Get it over with." But you, well, I mean, he come to that epiphany like right in this in the the heart of battle. I mean, he yeah. must really believe it then. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too because I think Star Wars does a great point at asking the questions on what is like traditional quote unquote honorable warfare versus like what's extremism. Yeah, right. mm-hmm. Like, yeah, because there, there. I mean, the whole reason that traitor's remorse exists is mm-hmm. based on the idea that once the Empire is honorably defeated in battle, they will give up and try to become productive citizens. Whereas people like Blink and some other people like. Like Keys, apparently, sometimes with his like continuation of Cinder, um, or probably most uh, most accurately, the First Order, as we see in the sequel trilogy, are built on extremism. Yeah. Like yeah. I will do this until I die. There is no reason, right. and that's and you can't reason with that. You can't. Right. You can't fix that. You can't do anything with that. History has shown us. History will show us in the future that you can never reason with extremists. <laughs> and I think that Will is holding on to this idea that these people are still. You, I think he sees Quell, and he's like, this can be another Quell. Everyone can be We're another year of Quell. You're oh. in too deep, man. Yep. Yeah. Oh. What do you think, Charles? What do you think of Will's You know me, professional, professional fence sitter. I, what, I found, <laughs> what I found unsettling was this. I hated him for his decision. I think I made it clear I didn't respect the decision. And at the same time, I could see myself making that decision. I really mm-hmm. could. Uh, yeah. you know, I'm a lover, not a fighter. Um, <laughs> but, but no, it, <laughs> I'm a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> <laughs> but that, but that's how I feel about it. I mean, like, I get it. I really, I, I feel it in my core. Yeah. I feel you, bro. I feel you, but I yeah. hate you for it. And I think that that's yeah. kind of what Nath said to him. In, in yeah, so that's literally words. Nath Tenzin's, right? Yeah, <laughs> but it's it's more like it, I, it really seems like it's more like he just decided. That enough is enough. Yeah. Like he's just done with war, and he then tried to justify it to himself. I think it's kind of interesting. Well, how I could maybe see that playing out. Well, I have this question for you. This is what really uh, this question occurred to me, and this more than any other thought that I had about this book probably made me lose respect for Will. And it's this: Do you think Will would have made the same decision that he did in this book? If Operation Center came knocking on Polinius's door, no, no, and that right there put, so. shows that he's elevating his own needs above the yeah. the needs of the galaxy, which is yeah. the point of the New Republic, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. well, and it's also interesting too because Operation Cinder is such an unimaginable horror, right? Like, I really love this whole trilogy from beginning to end. How Operation Cinder is given the respect in a weird way, of it, the devastation. Like, this is planet-killing because <clears throat> of the vengeance of a dead tyrant. Like, it is horror, yeah. purely. Um, and that's why I, I, it hit me so hard when, in this book, it started up again. I was like, wait, wait a minute. We're It's like we're bringing this back, this horror show. Yeah. And I wish, she had, I wish she had been killed on a Star Destroyer, honestly. Like, I think that would have been, been a fitting end of the character. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. I disappointed well, but mm-hmm. I, yeah, I think I think I think I most I most closely identify with that sentiment, Charles. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah, I get that too. So, despite what any of us think, let's look at how some of the characters in the novel viewed Will's decision. And I know I just referenced Nath on page three thirty two. He says this. I'm going to read this angry like. 
He says, we're done. You and me, we're done. I'm not going to keep trying. I won't keep pulling your butt out of fires that you started, and I won't point out the mistakes you're going to regret. You were part of the squadron, and I always figured keeping you alive would keep me alive. But now, no. I was blasted generous is what I was. You and I both know it, but we're done. And now I've got to clean up your mess one last time. Two and a half squadrons worth of pilots just got abandoned by their commander before the fight of their lives. And that hurts, wow. but it's true. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it's, that it's what he, he did. <clears throat> because I know. he makes a great point that the battle is going to happen with or without you. You know, and I think that's yeah. the thing is that right. it's too late. We're already here, bro. Like yeah. you're already yeah. on. We're in the briefing. You bought room, your man. ticket, yeah. man. Tell you bought your ticket if and the movie starting. This, you can't leave the theater. Yeah, now. if he had been around the you know how Star Wars always has the circular war table where they're like, What is she proposing? Yeah. Like that yeah. like, <laughs> we, we get that table. Oh, that's so good. I love that. I love that reference. Oh my god. Oh. I think that if Will had been around if we'd had that scene and he goes like what are we doing if not just killing people mercilessly? That's when that, I think, would have had a little more honor with it. But, Matt, you're right. Nat does make a good point. And I think the fact that I'm flip-flopping on this as we discuss it actually makes the writing so effective. Because yeah. this is what it happens. Yeah. Like, this, the book is already the book is growing on me. I knew this would happen when we talked. Like, I'm, already, I'm already up to, like, a 7.5, I'm being honest. Because, like, like uh, I just I needed – this is a book that, like, I think it would have been useful to be in a book club for. Right? It's what like – Here we this are, is. baby. Like, yeah. <laughs> Like you read what what what'd you say? What do you think this is? <laughs> well, we wait until we finish the book to talk about it. Like I need a pep talk, like after chapter five. Uh, right? yeah, when we all move to Asheville, we'll hang out. That is called we'll Conja Book Club. Okay. That is That's the true. purpose of Conja Book Club. That's which true. They've started falling along. So um, yeah. But I want But with Nath's thing here, I also cannot fault Nath here either. Because yeah. like this bit of Will's thing, the best thing it'll do is give Will a little less, like, he'll kill a little less people directly, but his lack of leadership will cause death yeah. of his own people. Yeah. You know, so it, it's a good point. Right. It's a good point. I mean, what was his ultimate goal? Was it saying that he doesn't want to kill anybody because he doesn't kill any more people because what good will it do? Him saying that, is that going to convince the enemy to stop this killing? Is, it, no. Like, he thought no, that. <laughs> now they're just going to be disorganized. Like, they don't have a freaking leader. It. Like, what the hell? I have the idea. This yeah. isn't going to help anybody. People are like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> this, is the, this is the, he thought that people were going to walk out with him. Like, this is the equivalent of starting a slow clap and no one else does it. Yeah, is this, is this Jerry Maguire all over again? Oh, my God. But you know what? What I thought was really interesting is not only did Will's friends and comrades have a problem with his decision, his enemies did. Because, uh, Wes, you brought up what Blink or Cedia said to him on page 366. She said, of course you don't understand. You abandoned your colleagues because you found violence distasteful. And that selfish instinct is going to get them killed, all of them. Now, damn, luckily damn, for Will, dude. that was God. not the case. No one died. That is that has got to be one of those lines where Freed writes that and he sits back and goes like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <just> got him. <laughs> but it didn't happen. But if it had, if Nath or Chas or Kairos or Quell or Hera or all of them, if they'd all died, do you think he would have doubted his decision? Oh, yeah. Yeah. 100%. Oh, yeah. That's, that's part of why I, I kind of wish it would have happened. It's like I... I I don't know if he 
Did he learn the lesson? I don't think he did. Yeah. He probably would have jumped I off mean, the building and broken his mechanical legs. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think okay. that's the interesting part too about like Will's future, and that he be- he goes back and wanting to evade to escape war and go home and be at peace, and then oh surprise, you are now forever within conflict in the political realm, and I think that's in a way maybe his penance for like leaving um, people yeah. in their hour of need. He's like, cool, now I will be. My job is addressing people's hours of need forever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As Senator Bail Organa. Oh, my word. Okay. <laughs> so okay. what's what's cool is that Will goes beyond simply not fighting his enemies, right? He actually tries to befriend them. And yeah. there's a poem I'm gonna I'm gonna bring this up. There's a poem by a guy named Thomas Hardy that has always come to mind for me when we talk about Will Lark. And it's called The Man He Killed. And y'all can look this up in your free time. I'm not going to read it to you now, but it basically tells the story of a man who kills an enemy soldier, and he realizes that, that if they had met in different circumstances, if they had just not been standing on opposite sides, they could have had a meal together. They could have been friends, but instead he shoots him dead. Yeah. And that is like Will Lark to a T. I swear Alexander Freed must, must know this, Paul. Props to one of my all-time favorite teachers back in the day, Mr. Cable, for introducing me to that, but... You know, once again in this book, we see we see Will reaching out to uh, Shadow Wing, trying to make these bonds in the weird times in between battles. And on page 339, he says over the comms, this is like his last plea with Shadow Wing. He says, this is Will Lark to the 204th Imperial Fighter Wing. Please know that I am no longer with Alphabet Squadron. This war is bigger than any of us. We can't stop the battle from happening, but I'm going to plead with you one last time to think about everything that's happened between us. Think about what happened in the Oradal Cluster and on Troyth and at Chidawa. Think about your dad and think about ours. I look back at it all, and I'm not sure either of us ever won a battle. I can't stop the war, but I can stop killing you. You can turn away too. It's not too late. You know, it didn't work. The battle happened. Lots of people died. Uh, it was really bad. Um, <laughs> but, but on page 425, after the Battle of Jakku, Will is found, and I quote, hobbling through the sand and gravel, leaning into his companion and laughing. The TIE pilot's helmet was off, and the expression Nath saw was similarly joyous. They looked like two siblings reunited after years as they waved frantically at the Y-Wing. Nath felt a grudging sense of admiration and amusement. Maybe all Will's outreach to the enemy hadn't been wrong-headed. He'd just been playing the long game. Well, Thoughts on that? That's one of my favorite. I, I honestly, I, I think it's a great encapsulation of everything Will's tried to do throughout this trilogy. I mean, from the telling stories back and forth um, until the point, obviously, where Shadowing got really dark, and then to the, you know, where they just left the comms open in this book. To like anyone who wanted to talk could mm-hmm. just chat, and either side didn't matter. And Hera just kind of let it go. I think Will, if if Will hadn't had that first encounter in the orbital cluster in book one, I don't think he would have tried this in book three. Mm-hmm. You know, but I think he's like, no, I saw this happen, and we they fought together to save innocents. You know, like shooting down debris. Yeah, like yeah. he has evidence to his claim. I think to an extent, in ending this way. To go back to our earlier point, I maybe he doesn't learn the lesson that he should have fought because in his mind, like, he has so much evidence of good people actually just being in the wrong place at the wrong time. So yeah. it's an interesting end for him. 
I do like how that was written, how he was I mean, yeah. it eventually worked out, right? He he crash lands and he's helped by the enemy, who in turn will be his friend of some But in all actuality, this is gonna turn into saving Private Ryan when you let that guy go and you're gonna throw <laughs> him right back into the army and he's gonna shoot your your friends and your comrades. So That's right. I mean, it's one in a million, Ma. One in a million. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I found this, I actually found this a little bit out of place and stuff because this is very out of character, I think, for everybody that we've seen in the 204th. And I think that actually might have been, you know, this book was already 450 pages, but it might have been an interesting way for this trilogy to sort of play out as if, as if they, as if Freed would have done a little bit of a different angle of maybe. I kind of wish we would have gotten to know some of the 204th a little bit better, right? And, uh -huh. like, really, really got in their heads and tried to justify their actions. And, like, we did that a little bit with with, with Erica Quell and with Soren Keys. I think we were supposed to mm -hmm. sort of root for Soren Keys a little bit. But he felt like an evil villain to me the whole time. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I can never... I can never really, really relate to him. I didn't really feel like he was a character I was supposed to feel. I mean, am I wrong in that? Did you guys feel that way at all? I mean, did you, like, find yourself, you know what, that's a good point. Maybe the New Republic isn't actually good at dealing out justice. Did you find yourself asking those questions with Soren Keys? Honestly, yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think that, mm -hmm. so not to get too many spoilers, because we'll obviously hit Soren Keys, I'm assuming, a ton next week. Um, but just to for my initial thoughts on Soren, I, I get why he did what he did at the end of, like, mm -hmm. All this is going. All this is going to be bad. I think I don't want my friends punished by like the New Republic officer that's having a bad day and wants to make an example out of my buddy that like you know got a parking ticket or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I think that like Soren is ah he's he's maybe the most complicated character of yes. the whole very, trilogy all the all these characters so are so complicated <laughs> all their motives and, and morality and ethics it's all very mixed up and stuff that's one of the reasons i found this this particular scene kind of kind of odd i do really like the last the last couple sentences of that though charles where it says like maybe all wills outreach to the enemy hadn't been wrong-headed he'd just been playing a long game like that i think is the the scene where they're all in the open channels. First off, that is brilliant writing. Absolutely genius yes. writing. That like the the nature of space and the area they were in required them to use open channels was a really, really cool writing tool that we've never seen used before. No. Freed's really I, good at I, that, I, being like, what what kind of exists, but also yes, I can exactly. make up. It's really it was really plausible and like they were all singing songs together and like I loved that scene. Like it just like that was that was in fact when this is the best six point five I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, Ken Ben called you out earlier, being like your comments are always way better than your score, which again is the whole I point know. of these. Things. It's the whole point. I, you know, I'm probably up to an eight at this point. All right, so my other favorite. <laughs> go, baby, go. <laughs> Next my week, perfect favorite, ten. Uh, <laughs> uh, another moment that really stuck with me in the uh, in the audiobook in particular is like music in audiobooks is always really interesting. It makes the emotional bit hit like a lot harder and there was sure. a scene where i guess nath was like walking around or something while the, all the pilots were all talking to each other on open channels and telling stories and stuff and did he i think he walked up on on Sindula, didn't he and she had like earbuds in and was yeah. listening to it or whatever and 
That was a really emotional, hard-hitting scene of Sorry, like. I'm just imagining Hera with earbuds or headphones. Like, where do they go? Like, she, like she, she lift up her, her head tail and like put it in there and like, yeah, I don't know. Like, are these Pilots her ears? ears? Are these? Well, they're her covered ears? up with they're this little up, round yeah. thingies. They're covered up with okay. their flight. Yeah, I guess these are head tails. Ears? Yeah, that, that yeah, they gotta be at the side. I'm gonna Google that right now. Yeah, the head tails aren't ears. I've never been able to spell Twilight. How do you spell Twilight? T-W-I apostrophe L-E-K. Apostrophe L-E-K. Also, are you guys Twilight or Twilight people? As a quick, as a quick aside. Twilight. I think I, I'm a Twilight. I, think I normally Twilight. say Twilight, but now that you ask me, I'm like guess, second guessing. You also no, say they Twilight. have ears. They have yeah. normal ears. Wait. No, I know they don't. Some of them don't. Some of them have just plain old normal looking <gasps> ears. Other ones have little. Since 1977. What the heck? <laughs> what the heck? Okay, I'm like really freaked out now. Some of them have pointy little triangles for ears. They don't have like ears. So other ones have human ears. Those are elves. What the hell? What are, you, are you even looking at Star Wars stuff? <laughs> I just go, I just googled Twilight ears. And all right, Charles, right. get us back on yeah. track. All right, that, all right. In sorry. The name of the sorry. Maker. Believe it or not, that was not on the list of prompts. Um, <laughs> Twilight ears. Save that for overarching questions. Um, so let, let's talk about Nath Tenzent next. Uh, Nath, who is perhaps the most unwilling hero of this group of characters, also had a really interesting journey through this book. And on page 146, Nath is talking to Will, and he says, experienced commanders burn out coping with half of what's on your plate. And Will asks, did you ever burn out, I mean? Nath heard it as a joke and answered in the same spirit. I made a choice not to worry about the things troubling you. It wasn't true, but it was Nath's habit to play the role of carefree pirate more than any other, more than hero of the New Republic or dangerous thug. It was an easy role to slip into, even unintentionally, but in reality, he'd worried plenty when he'd run his own crew. He'd spent sleepless nights figuring out how to discipline them, how to train them, how to keep them alive. If he hadn't worried at all, he'd have taken over Will's position on Troyth. Hell, he could have taken over Quell's. What is that passage saying exactly? <laughs> like, first of all... Despite Nascore, you <laughs> You're going to tell them. Hey, no. Behind the scenes, we're having a Slack conversation right now about the timing of the show, and Corey just burned West so oh hard. Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway. Uh, Charles, it's, you're it's making exactly a great point. It was going to be missed. Too. I'm not, <laughs> not going to let this happen. We've been, we've been doing so well. You have. Right. What? Bring it back. <laughs> what did the passage mean exactly? Like, first of all, despite Nath's <clears throat> tough outward appearance, we see that he truly does care deeply for his companions. But oh yeah, would he have been a better choice for Will's position as commander, or for that matter, for Quell's position from the very beginning? I love Nath. I think he's the most redeeming character in the whole series, in Ooh. my opinion. Like, he was a douchebag in the first book, yeah. and and. Now he's like the only one with any freaking sense in the whole book, I thought. Like, he just, uh, I think he's just, he's always like crapping on, like, oh, he's got to get another medal and this BS again. But, like, he's a really good leader and he's there yeah. for his team. And I don't know. I think Nath is, is good where he is because I feel like you're, and again, I've never been in the military, I don't profess to. I feel like your commanding officer or your your boss, right, whatever it is, has to be a little more, like, a little even keel, give orders. But you need that first officer or, like, second in command that's going to be, like, your buddy that's going to be a little more, like, chill. That's going to be – because I think Will is a little more high-strung. Like, I, Corey, I think you and I have had this conversation where I'm like, hey, man, 
people burn out way more than what you're doing. It's all good. You're cool, brother. It's all fine. And I'm like the rogue pirate in this scenario. Um, <laughs> so I think now this handsome rogue pirate. I'm, I'm, just, I'm, 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 I'm saying Charles's words in the text. Um, but yeah, I think that Nath actually acted well. I think that he had a few leadership times, but when he led a squadron, didn't he like abandon them and go kill grandmother oh, without telling anyone to come back yeah. and be like, "Oh, what yeah. happened, guys?" So, <laughs> we'll yeah. get there. Yeah. I know. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ditch my my comrades for a minute, but I'm gonna go murder Hitler while I'm at it. <laughs> yeah, like, which also MVP move, total if, baller. If move. If you're gonna leave, go kill grandmother. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and punch the I mean, messenger in the face. I know. <laughs> yeah, Nat is great. Nat's a great character. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I like his ending too. I like that he's like, "Cool, I did my job. I gave the motivational speeches I needed to the young bucks. I'm gonna go make some money as a pirate, I guess." Yeah. Now on page two ninety six, Nath makes this comment after a pretty tough conversation with Chas. He says, "It wasn't his fault if killing Chas the cultist brought the return of Chas the martyr. Though, like everything about Alphabet Squadron, it might end up his problem to solve." Is Nath the problem solver in this group? Is he the is he the glue that's keeping this whole thing going? Maybe. I think it's he's not a, Kairos. <laughs> Nath is the only person. I think he's the most practical. Is it right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's not. It's not. It's not even that he's the most practical. He's the only yeah. somewhat practical character okay. in the. Everybody yeah. else is just like a freaking ticking time bomb. You have Chas, who is just an emotional nut job, who's just like gonna blow up at any given time. You have Erica Quell, who's like this crazy bordering on a mental breakdown at any given second then you have will who doesn't even know if he wants to be in the war and he's like in charge of the damn squadron so like i don't know kairos Kairos is like i smell the leaf in my soul and it's like what are you doing (laughs) 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 the currents the currents of the universe are changing my (laughs) Kairos, is it in fourth or fifth? Is it in fourth or fifth? Just tell me. (laughs) Kairos knows how the tides work on every planet. Holy crap. No, man. Yeah, no, Nath is absolutely... That's a great point. He's kind of the only one that's like, yo, but we're going up the cliff now, right? (laughs) Yeah, it's like... Okay, so I was thinking about you a lot when I was reading this, Eric, because like you and I have had the conversation a lot of like characters that don't protagonists that don't have redeeming qualities are incredibly frustrating plot devices like it's one of the reasons that i really disliked ezra in the rebels tv show is because he's such an annoying freaking character right that was my controversial opinion episode from last week right so exactly (laughs) incorrect but go on yes so in this (laughs) in this book all of the characters have these just deep flaws that are just like make them barely likable in certain instances so they're frustrating to read about yeah yeah i think Corey's pendulum of like characters goes from the the total i don't know what to do at allness of like erica quell to like the this is too much knowledge of like thrawn and thrawn alliances and you got to find somewhere in between there i know exactly (laughs) yeah somewhere in the middle Somewhere in the middle is my sweet spot for Star Wars entertainment. Yeah. Yeah. Decently competent, decently emotional, a good hang. Uh, good that's right. Hang. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, yeah. Rail Avaros, the perfect protagonist. Yes. A good hang. All right. If you're going to be incompetent, at least have a country accent. All right, let's move on. On page 79. <laughs> We get this quote. (laughs) 
Will knew he could trust in Nath Tenson's protection as he had at Cerberon, as he had just minutes before. But it was Nath's sense of duty and compassion toward others that Will doubted, not the bond between Nath and himself. His every act seemed spurred by personal loyalty, or worse, greed, not by a reverence for life. It made trust difficult when the stakes were higher than the lives of Nath and Will and the rest of the squadron, when whole worlds were at risk. Do you think that Nath does not have a reverence for life? Is that is that an accurate comment by Will? <clears throat> I don't think so because he goes to he tries to save his own skin at the end of the Battle of Jakku, but then he goes and looks for Will, so like he acts like he's going to leave everybody, but then he's still totally doing the mission, so I don't Yeah. Re- reverence? I think he has reverence for life. I think I, he I think so he, too. I don't think he he's, has. He's not want to die. Yeah, not like well, suicidal, like Chas is, well, right? Uh, no. Didn't he and try think, to? Didn't he try to do a suicide run at the end of the second <clears throat> book? All right, he That's did. True. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think that he doesn't necessarily think like, how many lives can we save? I don't think he's that guy, which I think yeah. Will wants him to be, based yeah. on this mm-hmm. passage for sure. But I do think that he's not like careless about how many people die. I think it does hit him. He's just a little more experienced with it. So so I think it's interesting you bring that up because on page 396, in a, in a way, I'll say, Nath kind of proves Will's analysis of him is correct, right? He said he never doubted that Nath wanted to protect their squadron, but he didn't seem to have a reverence for life. That's kind of what he said. And uh-huh. on page 396, when Nath thinks that, that Kairos and Quell are off to Coruscant, maybe never to return. When he thinks that Chas is gone, that Will and Hera have gone down with, with the Star Destroyer when it's, uh, when it's bombed, he leaves the fight. He pretends that his ship has a malfunction, and he leaves. <clears throat> so as yeah. soon as his yeah. immediate companions are out of the fight, out of danger's way, he removes himself from danger as well. So... Mm-hmm. You know, on the one hand, Screw you guys, I'm going home. Yeah, <laughs> Nat <Nath> tends. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and it, you know, in on the one hand, Nat's personal loyalties to his comrades—that's not truly a bad thing. But maybe no. it is a bad thing that he's willing to, you know, leave the battle mid-battle to potentially save his own skin. But yeah, I- is that hypocritical though? Because. Is it is it hypocritical that Nath ends up leaving the fight that he criticizes Will for never joining? Ooh. I think this answers the question on whether Nath should have been the squadron leader or not pretty decisively. Um, so, no, I, I feel good about the answer of us being like, no, I don't think he's a great military leader. Um, I Ooh, that's tough because, yeah, I mean, you got him. Yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> I think yeah. that it proves he's a good it's friend. got him. Nat, there's 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 a lot of uh there's a lot of you know similarities between Nat Tinson and Han Solo. I think Absolutely, that's the purpose, right? yes. I mean, like like he's supposed to be this sort of roguish bad guy that's a good guy type of thing. Like you know, in the solo film, Infus Nest uh, is talking to um, what's her face? Kira. Kira, yes, yeah, talking yeah. to Kira. <laughs> You know, one of the main characters of Star Wars and the Star Wars company that I run. <laughs> you know, a lot of characters. Invis Ness is talking to Kira, and Kira says he's going to help you, and she's like, "How do you know?" And he says, "Because he's actually the good guy, right?" Yeah. And and uh, is Nath oh. that guy? I don't know that. That's really. I think the Nath, case. Like Nath is the Hondo. 
Mm. You know, I think yeah. he's the I will definitely get every ounce of money I can. But if you are my friend, I'm never going to betray you fully. I may say I will. Yeah. I may think I don't care, but you'll always make it out and I'll wink at you. You know, mm. I think that's where I think that's where Nath ends up. And yeah, I guess that's, you know, that's a good I, and, point. It's a better similarity, I guess. In this particular battle, though, to your point, Charles, I think when all his friends die, he just feels that like. Every he thinks he, the five people closest to him for the last years are dead. Like I'm out. I I also totally mm-hmm. get that. It's similar to the Will scenario where, do I think it's brave? No. Do I think it's noble? Not necessarily. But do I get it? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 What is he fighting for at that point? So he he yeah. he agrees with the <laughs> commanding officer's overall like plan of action, but then he doesn't really read the notes on it, and he has his own idea of what it should be and once he mm-hmm. fulfills what he believes is that plan he's out I'm done it's like i've i did what i needed to do you know yep yeah. um uh john makes a good point in the chat too very much like afra as well mm-hmm. i think this yeah, yeah makes all over star wars i mean he signed up i mean you can't really fault him for that that much right like no. nat signed up to take out the 204th right he yeah. didn't sign up to like Win the go war. sacrifice yeah. himself in some glorious battle over Jakku that has nothing to do with. Originally, wasn't he like a gun for hire? Like, yeah, I think right so. In yep. Beginning the first book, he's basically like a yeah, mercenary. Yeah, he told. Yes, exactly. Didn't he? Like, isn't that how that uh, Aiden got him on board in the first place? Is yep. he offered him a bunch of uh-huh. money? If I remember correctly, yeah, and he had extra money to spy on his own people. Like, you know, I mean, hell, he could have <clears throat> he could have taken off after the second book. He's like, well, Aiden's not well, here anymore. So you bring to- up a great point, bringing up what he did in book one uh, when he was paid to essentially report back on people within the <clears throat> squadron and to go and and try to kill grandmother Shakar and arrest. Um, Mm-hmm. So who is the is the true Nath Tenzin? Is it the guy secretly assassinating grandmother at the command of of uh, Aiden, or is it the guy throwing himself in this book into a depressurized cabin to save Will's life? I yes. think Nath. I think I think that's the difference between Nath and and Han Solo. I think their their moral compass is the same, but the final storyline we have of. Han Solo is that he's a hero, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas Nath made the choice to not be the hero, but I think he's lying to himself. I think he actually is the hero. Like he, he, he did it too many times to not have been the hero, right? He threw yeah. himself in front of the bullet too many times for you to try to convince me that he's a bad guy, right? So when he's when he goes and hires all these pirates at the very end of the book, I found it. I appreciate that, like, that they didn't just do the whole Han Solo thing and, like, oh, you were a good guy all along, right? Like, it was all just talk, but, like, I don't know. Maybe we'll see that this story come to a conclusion later on, that we see Nath sort of, quote-unquote, turn to the light. Yeah, because, like, I, I think what what is Nath's moment of, you know, in Episode 7, the moment we all love so much, the it's true, all of it, mm-hmm. Luke, the Jedi, like, we see the, the Han Solo drop and believe in the magic of the Force and all these things. And goodness, mm-hmm. and I think that maybe old Nath, when he tells stories of the war, of his friend Will, of his, you know, do, is he in the next reunion? You know, because yeah, I think right. the, the choice by Freed to, I know we're, I'm jumping way ahead at this point, but just for this point, to not include Nath in the reunion is so interesting. Yeah. Because yeah, I was think. very interesting. I love the idea of him trying to intentionally regress because the trauma of almost losing these people was maybe too hard. Mm-hmm. 
that he's like, mm-hmm. nope, I don't want to get that close. I almost, I almost abandoned everything. I almost felt the loss. I'm gonna, I need to reset. I need to like disconnect a little bit. And to your point, Corey, I do think we're gonna see Nath in some future something as an older man. Maybe try to come back to the fold. Uh, yeah, I hope so. And even if we don't, I think that's what happens. Yeah. Well, there was one quote in particular that really, really, I think, told me everything I needed to know about Nath because he makes so many comments <laughs> about how, oh, he's playing the role of a hero or, or you know, he doesn't actually care about this. But on, on page 399, he says, if he kept this up, maybe he'd get another medal. But his medals were all he'd have if a group of strangers buried him. I mean, that was so striking Dang. to me because he makes it so clear that he's not here to fight to be a hero. Sure, he wants to have the advantage. He wants profit, but he's here for his friends. And if he if he yeah. has no friends left at the end of this, that's the only unacceptable outcome to him is, is what he just mm-hmm. said. Ugh. I mean... The idea of medals in the military is always so interesting to me personally for this exact reason. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like... I get the the honor of it all. And this is a, a way deeper conversation, I think. But I think he makes a great point that cool. Are you, is this just to like apologize for the trauma that I carry now? And it's like, yeah, I don't have friends, but I have this ribbon thing. Like, who cares? Like, is it is it mm. Nat that doesn't he give away his medal in this book? Every I don't like. I, I feel like I remember something so. like that. Like, or or something. Anyway, I may be mixing my narratives, but even if he didn't, I feel like any medal Nath got. He would. He traded away for a beer because yeah. he's like, yeah, yeah. By the end of the series, he that. really is proving that the that sort of seems to be <clears throat> thing. That's that's sort of the that's almost a universal. What's it? What's it? What do you call it? a trope? That's like a storytelling trope, right? Like, yeah. is that the medal is worthless? Right? Yeah. I'm not here for the medal. Mm-hmm. This is stupid. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, and I think it's also a trope in in military storytelling in general that mm-hmm. like. Even if I don't believe in this cause, I'm here for my 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 buddies, right? I'm yeah. here for my friends and my comrades through this trauma that we've shared. And like, even if I don't totally buy in, I can't leave the squad because, you know, I would be abandoning my my people. You know what right. I mean? That's like a I send so many war books, and that's a universal human theme. It seems like because yeah. we find company and shared trauma. I suppose that's why we do this podcast every week. <laughs> We can't leave. It works. I think what you just said, (laughs) I think what you just said, Corey, is exactly what it is. He's not really there for the cause. He's there for the friends that he's made along the way. And he he more or less says that on page 446. Um, You know, uh, uh, it's a pretty long passage. I'm just going to skip to the end when he when he really says the important part. Uh, He said, risks, not the problem. But when I say I'm not willing to be what the new republic needs, I mean, General Sindula would have died without resentment if she'd gone down at Jakku. I can't say the same. Right? That tells you everything you need to know right there. Yeah. It's not the cause for him. But, but he, yeah, is, he doesn't care the about people. the cause. Yeah, it's really. the people. It's the people. The real cause is the friends we made along the way. Yeah. But if you will. in a surprising turn of events, what I found to be surprising, at the end of this novel, we see Nath putting together a crew of pilots after the war. And that's a crew that includes Shadow Wing. So is yeah. is Nath actually living out what Will preached? And 100%. why do you think he oh, didn't wow. tell Will? Damn, I didn't even think of that at all. Why do you think he didn't tell Will? Yeah. That's great. That's so good, man. I don't know. Damn it, Charles, you're so good at this. <laughs> yeah. I don't – man, I didn't really think about that. I, I also found that scene to be kind of odd of like 
why is he recruiting Shadow Wing? I guess it's just they're good pilots and stuff. But yeah, you're totally right. I mean, he totally is. It seems like he was flying up that last thing where he sees Will with the tire pilot. He was probably like in the movie. We'd go to Nath and he'd be like, "Ah, oh, that son of a gun." He did it. Yeah. But he ne- but he never wants to give Will that satisfaction, I think. And I, I truly don't think Nathan will talk for years. I think that, that in in the story of this thing that Nath doesn't want Will to have the satisfaction that he was right because people did die, you know? Yeah. That was – I think he still wants Will to know that was the wrong choice. But I think that Nath can't ignore the validity of Will's argument. So bringing on those shadowing pilots is maybe his way to honor his friend – even though he has too much pride at the moment to admit it to his face. Well, and God, God, now do I want that scene of the two of them? And Will goes like, hey, yeah. so looking at your, uh, your, your, your pilot there, looked familiar. That's a, that's a shadowing pilot, isn't it? I feel, I, I would like to think that Will Lark and Nath Tenzant have that moment from the end of the uh, Christian Bale Batman trilogy between Alfred and uh, Bruce Wayne where they're in the cafe and they just like smile yeah. at each other. Oh my god! Yes. <laughs> um, no, but yep. you know, this was another thing that really made me uh, really dislike Will. Was on page four forty eight when they're having this final conversation. Will and Nath, they're talking about everything that they're doing after the war for probably the last time they're going to talk. And Will straight up says, "You're not a good man." to nap <laughs> and the book says it should have line. angered One. him it deserved a rough response at least but will said it with such gentle conviction that nath laughed uproariously before saying most of us aren't just the few of us who know it though and after that hell of a zinger nath isn't even bitter in fact he goes so far as to gift his droid t5 who who will loves so much and who loved will so much to Will. He gives his droid to Will after he yeah. straight up looks this man in the eye and says, you are not a good man. Uh, that's my question to end these, this about Nath. Is he a good man? I think I think Will is just projecting at this point. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that what we talked about tropes earlier, right? Yeah. I think Nath is the trope. He is a good man that has done bad things and yeah. that will do bad things if they mean that more good can come out of it. And if you can make some credits along the way, all the better. Yeah. All right. That's what I got. Nath Tencent is a good man. Yeah. Nath Tencent. Superstar. (laughs) We're all team Nath here. That's what we've discovered. Three of these round tables later, we love Nath. (laughs) I do. I do really like Nath. I think he's probably the I find I found him probably the most relatable character in the trilogy, I think. Okay. I really enjoyed getting a lot of Hera in this book, but I think Nath was the redeeming quality for me. I found a lot of the other decision-making by other characters pretty frustrating at times, yeah. but you can count on Nath, it seems that's like. That's right. Yeah. Well, y'all, that's, that's all that I've got. Um, next week, we're going to pick things up with Kairos, mm. as if any of us knows what the hell was going on with any of that. Uh, <laughs> spoiler alert Kairos is a caterpillar uh, <laughs> <laughs> yep. I thought for sure thought for sure when those when the shell fell off or whatever at the end of the book that when she jumped off I thought for sure she was going to have butterfly wings I believe and I fly, fly away on Coruscant oh she's my a butterfree. god I was so convinced that was going to happen oh, amazing oh man I gotta, I'm a little disappointed that it didn't to be honest like, that's fair oh man 
right. Well, well I think at this point, I, at this point, I do have to say, I'm not going to be here next right. week. I'm on night shift uh, on pediatrics next week. I have this random week of nights on there, and I'm I'm there from like 5 p.m. to uh, like 6 a.m. So it'll be some painful nights for me. So I will not be here next week. So Godspeed to you guys. I will say you've already convinced me to like this book more than I did. Yeah, re-rate uh, it. You know, we always do that at the end, re-rated. so you got to re-rate. Today. That's right. Okay, okay. I think uh, I kind of joked that I would bring it up to an eight. I think I would bring it up to about a. Maybe a seven point eight. I think that's where that's where that's I'm probably part at. One. Just out of this, like, yeah. That's a point. Charles, and a half your questions, jump. your questions are so good, man. Yeah, so good, thought provoking. That's what it is. Yeah. Awesome. And that's cool thing about Star Wars books too. Like some books, like the more you talk about them, the better they get. Same with TV shows. Same with media. Um, awesome. Except Game of Thrones. But anyway, all right. <laughs> that's let's, right. Uh... <laughs> well, on that note, we'll miss you next week, man. I hope those nights are great. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, hey, maybe you'll see for the first time ever. Maybe you'll see Corey in the chat if no patients show up. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> nice. But uh, nice. on that, everyone in the chat, these these conversations have been incredible. We hope you come back next week, same time, same place. We'll finish this up. But for now, that'll do it for this week's episode of the Living Force. We want to thank everyone for hanging out, and if you're already supporting us on Patreon, thank you so much. We hope that all of you join us over there. A special thank you goes out to Cheryl Bell, Patrick Ortiz, and Carl Stander on our Jedi High Council, and Elizabeth Cloutier, Jason Mitchell, Freddie C., and Stallion, and Chris Eilerson in our Alliance High Command for your amazing support of everything we do. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at Eric Eilerson. Corey is at DocStarWarsMD. Charles Zetsy Henkel and Wes is at Boss Wes. A special thank you to Matt Davenport, our amazing editor, Ryan, our graphic designer extraordinaire, and Wes, our producer and community manager. Make sure to hit those links in the description for all extra information you can get on Alphabet Squadron. Thank you to Corey, Charles, and Wes for podcasting with me tonight. Thanks to all of you in the chat for hanging out. And as always, may the Force be with you. There is no hatred. There is joy. There is no division. There is union. There is no apathy. There is passion. There is no gatekeeping. There is community. This is the Utini Star Wars Fan Code. Embrace it, live by it, and above all, trust in the living force. Join the Utini community and surround yourself with like-minded fans at utini.com. And remember, the force will be with you. Always.